Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qalam podcast Hurdle series, a study of Imam Ghazali's Minhajul Abidin by Sheikh Mikail Ahmed Smith. Jazakallah khair for your continued support, and we pray that this is beneficial. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyyina wa Mawlana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Allahumma inna nas'aluka hubbak wa hubba man yuhibbuk wa hubba amalin yuqarribuna ila hubbika arhamar rahimin. Ya Allah, we ask you to make this a gathering by which we increase in our understanding of you, Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Ya Allah, we ask you to have mercy upon those from our Ummah who have passed away, Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Ya Allah, we ask you to make it easy for our brothers and sisters in Philistine. We ask you to make it easy for them, Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Ya Allah, those of us who have lost family members, we ask you, we beg of you, Ya Allah, whatever good we do, we ask you to place that in their good deeds, their scales on the Day of Judgment. Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We also ask Allah to give us sincere intentions in learning. Uh, sincere intentions that whatever we learn, we intend to act upon and make it a means by which we get closer to Allah on the Day of Judgment. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, for the last uh, three, three, two halakas, we've been studying the, um, the fifth hurdle. The fifth hurdle. Um, and just so that we're all on the same page of what we're studying, um, The Quran tells us that Allah, Allah tells us in the Quran that He created us for one purpose, and that purpose is to know Him, it is to worship Him. And we're also told in the Quran that we are created in difficulty, it's, it's hard, worship is not easy. And so Imam Ghazali and other scholars have put together these amazing books that serve as a manual, a guide to help us down that path of ibadah, that path of worship, that path of knowing who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And so throughout this book, Imam Ghazali has been teaching us things that come in the way, things that get in the way of us reaching the true heights of, of worship, the true heights of being sincere servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you free yourself, when you free yourself from this world and free yourself from this nafs that's inside of us. And by nafs, we mean that lower self inside that's always pulling you. Allah says about the nafs, that the, the nafs loves to go to the low route. It loves to be a hater. It loves to be jealous. It loves to be lazy, right? It doesn't want to be lifted up, right? But, but if we take this route of servitude, what we realize is that by subjugating or, or, or humbling ourselves before Allah, we're lifting that soul up, we're lifting ourselves up. And what he's explaining to us is that this path of worship is difficult, yes, no doubt. Um, but we do hard things, that's who we are as believers. We strive, we push forward, we wake up for tahajjud, we wake up for fajr, we fast, right? And with no water, right, as they say, right? Not even water, yes. Because we want to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how much we love Him. That's what this whole relationship is about. It's, it's a love affair with Allah that over everything else, I love you, Ya Allah. No matter how beautiful this dunya is, Ya Allah, it won't make me forget that you are more, more beautiful than everything you created. No matter how beautiful this dunya is, it will not make me forget that you are more beautiful than all of the beauty that you have created. And so Imam Ghazali... He's told us that there are a number of things that's going to get in the way. And I, I kind of want to just recap the hurdles that he's explained so we know where we're at right now. The very first thing that he said that you need on this journey, and alhamdulillah, we've, we've seen people like just coming into the folds of Islam, accepting Islam. And one of the first things that he says you need is knowledge of God and knowledge of who you are. Where you came from, where you're going, and where you're at right now, that's what this deen will give you. It will tell you who Allah is, who you are, and where you're going. So he said the first thing that you need is knowledge. Because you're sleeping. If, if you don't have knowledge, you don't even know, why would I get up to worship? What is the reward for that? Why would I do that? He says, that's the first hurdle. So you start to learn. You start to go to halaqad. You start to read the Quran. You start to listen to different lectures. And you start to want to know more about this akhirah, this reality, you want to know more. And then he says, the next thing that gets in the way is your sins. 
you realize like, wait, I need to go on this journey of worship. I need to move forward. But I can't because there's this shackle holding me down. And what is that shackle? That's my sins. But Islam is beautiful because the way to release that shackle is by recognizing that we are all by nature necessarily flawed. And it is by admitting our flaws to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're able to move forward. Kullu bani Adam Every single child of Adam is a sinner. But the best amongst us are the ones, ones who admit that fault the most, not the ones who front and act like they're perfect. You feel me? That's the key. So the second hurdle is Tawbah. And we said, and I'm not going to digress into each one, but I just want us to understand where we're at, just to, just to orient ourselves. The Tawbah is not a moment, it's a movement, as we said. Tawbah isn't a one time, oh, I did Tawbah last year. Shake, come on. Like, what? The Prophet was sitting in a gathering. The Prophet ﷺ was sitting in a gathering. See, the reason why Tawbah is a movement is because there's, there's disobedience of Allah I do that I'm not even cognizant of. There's, I'm not even conscious of some of the slip-ups that I do, right? And so the idea of, oh Allah, forgive me, yeah, that's Tawbah. But there's a narration that says, the Sahaba said that we sat with the Prophet ﷺ, our beloved Habib ﷺ, who's better than him? Who's better than him? But in one gathering, a Sahabi says, I heard him say astaghfirullah 70 times. 70 times he was like, ya Allah, forgive me. Some say the reason is because every second he was becoming better. And when you look at, back at who you are, you're like, it's cringe, right? When you look back at who you were before, right? I, I remember this one uncle, right? I think that's when, I'm, when my leg goes up that I'm like ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, there's this one uncle. His name was Suleiman. And uh, he was like 70 years old when he converted, right? And... Uh, well, his name wasn't Suleiman. It was, uh, it was Abdullah. That was his name. It was Abdullah. Right? So he, he converts and he's learning the deen. He's learning everything. He's coming to every Saturday class, every Thursday night class. He's coming to everything and he's learning. And his, his soul is just being filled with noise. You can see it in his face. He's shining. First year. It's his first year of Islam, though. So he comes to me around Ramadan time. Right? He comes to me Ramadan and he goes, Sheikhna. He goes, I just realized that uh, this month of fasting is coming and I'm excited. But there's one problem. I got a golf tournament coming up and I can't fast. I can't fast. What should I do? Whatever I told him what to do. You gotta fast, whatever. But <laughs> the next year, that's not the point of the story. The next year, Ramadan came around again. And when Ramadan came around, he came up to me. He's like, Sheikh, I gotta talk to you. I was like, oh no. <laughs> it's golf time. He goes, Sheikh, no, no, no. I can't believe last year that I even thought about fasting, not fasting for the sake of, of, of golf. So just the thought of where he was to where he had reached is a reason why he was saying astaghfirullah. So all of us, what happens is as you start to get better spiritually, you start to look back and you're like, oh, that was me? Subhanallah. Astaghfirullah, ya Allah. And so they say that the Prophet wasallam, he was constantly elevating. And as he would take a step higher spiritually, he would look back and he would go, Astaghfirullah, I was there. Astaghfirullah. So the second hurdle is Tawbah. And, and, and it's a constant returning. And what it means is means to return back to Allah with your sins, realizing there's no way to run away from Allah. You just bring your sins back to Allah. The third thing he said is uh, there's these impediments that will impede. They'll get in our way as we try to worship Allah more. They'll get in our way. What are they? This world, this, this dunya, everything here, the, the, the houses, the cars, the, everything here that isn't for the sake of Allah, that, 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 that everyone chases after, those are the things that will impede in your way. And just for one hadith I'll share with you. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, be children of the akhirah. Don't be children of the world. Don't be children of this world. That's it. In another hadith, he said, be Abdurrahman. Abdur don't be Abdur Dinar. Right? Don't be, abd, don't be the servant of the dinar, of the money, right? So he says, the world, people, oh, people. How many of us are impacted by everyone's gaze on us? 
We'll talk a little bit about that today, but the idea is don't let the creation's gaze upon you overpower the creator's gaze upon you. Let that be the main thing that you worry about is watching you. Not other people, people come and go. People come and go. Number three, he said, was shaitan, the devil, knowing his tricks, knowing his schemes. And then the fourth impediment was the lower self. Then he taught us, wait, now you've got rid of the world. You're not caring too much about this dunya. You have it in your hand, but not in your heart. That's the key. You're not worried about people. You're not worried about, you know, shaitan's tricks. So you're always staying a step ahead. But then he goes, the next thing that happens is the fourth hurdle. And this is the hurdle of things that preoccupy your mind. And this is why I love our deen, because if you become a true servant of Allah, things start to miss you. Like, you don't even worry about it. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you're like, man, I'm doing dicker right now. I'm good. Like, you're on a different plane. I'm all right right now. Like, the, the hardships become an opportunity for sabr, and that's what you're here for. You, you, you're on a whole nother. So he says, he says that in order to truly worship Allah, you have to free your mind. Your mind can't be mashghul. And that's why, subhanAllah, it's like the, the beautiful hadith where Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, if you have to go to the restroom and it's time to pray, you have to relieve yourself first. Because, because you can't have other things preoccupying you when you stand before Allah. So he mentioned a number of things that worry us, our worry about our sustenance, our livelihood. Where am I going to get paid from? Where am I going to take care of my family from? Who am I going to get married to? Right? Who are my children going to be? All of these things are livelihood that preoccupy us. Then he said worrying about dangers and harms. So he basically taught us how to overcome that. And we did that. Now for the last two sessions, we've been talking not about the stuff that stops us, but the things that will motivate us forward. Because this is a journey of, of worship. And he said there's two qualities that we need to develop. And that's what we're going to pick up from today because he said we need two things. Fear and we need hope. Fear and hope. Intense fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and intense hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. And so from there, I want to pick up where we left off and listen to what he says, inshallah ta'ala. How to cultivate that fear and what does it mean to actually have that fear and that hope? What does that actually mean? Imam Ghazali says this. He says, فَعَلَيْكَ uh, He says, so listen up, أَيُّهَا الرَّجُلُ You have to cross this hurdle very carefully. This is a very difficult hurdle, the hurdle of fear and the hurdle of hope. And I want you to listen closely because this is where a lot of us we, 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 we become stagnant on the path. We become stagnant. And I was talking to a friend of mine about that stagnation spiritually that comes. And I believe this is the solution right here. If you find yourself plateauing in the deen, you have to look at your fears and your hopes. So look what he says. He says, this path is a path that is in between two extremes. And both of them will destroy you. He said, the one extreme on the right, we could say, is tariqul aman is this path of security. See, I know we feel like, wait, I should want to be secure in my deen. Right? I, I think all of us feel we should, I should want to feel secure in my religion, right? Well, it depends what you mean by secure. Umar ibn Khattab, he said this. He said, radiallahu ta'ala an. He said, if on the day of judgment, if on the day of judgment, a angel calls out that every single person is going to Jannah except one. I would fear that would be me. And, and he's same thing. Wait, it's not done though. See, remember, you can't piecemeal this lesson. You have to take the whole thing. And then in the same breath, he said, but if the announcement was made that every single person except one is going to hellfire, I would know in my depths of my heart that that would be me. What he's teaching us is, 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 is like this extreme hope in God, but this extreme fear too that I, I don't know. And when you become, I'm good, when you say that about your dean, yo, you need to go to Halakha, no, I'm good. Yo, we should go for Umrah, I'm good. Yo, we should, we should do more, I'm good. You're not good. That's the first sign. That's the first sign that we're not going in the right direction. 
right? And this applies to other areas of life, but we want to see it in, far, in, as, as, in terms of our, our religion. And this is what I said last week, which is in your dunya, your wealth, and all these other things, find complacency, find a place of contentment and be like, I'm good. But in this realm, the, the, the drive for deen, the drive to get closer to Allah, I don't know about you, but the sky's the limit. I'm trying to be above y'all, yom al I'm trying to grind and get that. That's what we're striving for. And I say that because all of us should have that competitive nature when it comes to the akhirah, that I'm not good yet. Do you remember Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal? He was on his deathbed. He was on his deathbed. And his sons were all around and they were like, Baba, you're good. Baba, you're good. He's like, la ba'du, la ba'du. He's like, nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. Because it's not over yet. I'm still, I'm not sure yet. So he says that the first thing that can happen is you become so confident that you're good. And what I love this is something we've all, all of you, subhanAllah, growing up, we grew up here, right? I'm born here. Obviously, all of us are born and raised here. But here, we have to choose to want our deen. And there's no just relying on the culture for the deen. There's no just relying on the, 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 the people around you. No, you have to choose to want it. And so what does he say? He says, the first path is the path of security. Oh, I'm good. But the other extent, and this is where a lot of us find ourselves, is the side of complete hopelessness. I can never do enough. No matter what, I'll never please Allah. I'm too weak. I can't make it. And so what he says is, he says, But the, the true path that this deen wants you on is this path right in the middle of both of these things. He goes, you, you cannot become so hopeful that you lose all fear altogether. And you be, cannot become so fearful that you lose all hope altogether. But rather, you have to ride right between both of them. You have to stay on top of both of those. Do not go too far to the right. Do not go too far to the left. Then he continues. He says, because if you go to either side, you won't continue your journey forward. He says, if you look at only God's mercy, if you only look at God's mercy, you f you'll find yourself not invigorated to do actions. You'll find yourself lazy. I'm good. I'm okay. Right? And then he says, if you only look at like, the hard thing that, no, Allah's punishment is there. He's like, then in that case, you'll find yourself hopeless and you won't move forward. So he says, look at both these things. But now Imam Ghazali goes, hold on. That's enough about preaching how much we need it. How do we keep it in our lives? He says, I'm going to give you three things to do that will keep these things in your life. Please write these down. They are precious. He says, You can never walk this path, right? You can never walk this path and force this lazy lower self to do goodness and to make this lower self stay away from what it loves, its passions, its desires. And you can't make this lower self want to do righteous deeds, like wake up for tahajjud in the middle of the night when sleep is so beloved to you. Except if you do three things. And look what he says. He says, and do these three things ala dawam. You got to do these things regular. These are not one-time things like I did them. And the reason why this is so special is because it gives you the ability to help yourself spiritually keep growing. So what does he say? Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says, number one, without any, like regular, with a regular schedule, number one thing you have to do is dhikru aqwalihi, recite, remember, reflect on all of the beautiful statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding his promises and all of the statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding the, the threats. He says, number one is read the Quran, but read it specifically looking at all of those promises and read it specifically looking and focusing on all of those scary verses about shadidul iqab. He is, he is severe in his punish, punishment. Sari'ul hisab, fast in reckoning. So he says, read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but specifically focus on that. And then he says, number two, and we're going to look at some of these inshallah ta'ala. He says, number two, he says, look at the examples 
of other people, whether they be people that were blessed to give you hope or whether they be people that lost everything to make you fearful. Whether they be people that were blessed to give you hope or people that lost everything to make you realize there were people that had a lot more than me, that did a lot less than me, that lost everything. What about me? And I'm, we're going to look at some examples, inshallah ta'ala. And then last but not least, he says, you have to reflect upon the promise of God in the akhirah regarding the reward and the promise of Allah regarding the punishment. So he says, the author, he says, I've written a lot about this, but I'm just going to give a little bit for you for each of these three things. Number one, as for the verses of hope, here are just a few of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Zumar, verse number 48, 47, Never ever lose hope in the mercy of God. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all sins. In another verse, Ali Imran, verse number 135, Who is there to forgive sins except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In Surah A'raf, verse 156, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَحْمَتِي وَسِعَتْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ Allah says, and my mercy encompasses everything. That means you're in there too. That means you're in there too. He says, but what about the verses of fear? He says, you have to read them both to keep you balanced. He brings up a few verses, Surah Al-Zumar, verse 19. O my servants, be fearful of me. In Surah Al-Mu'min, Mu'minun, verse number 115, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do you think that you have been created for no reason? Just to eat, drink, sleep, that's it? No purpose? Do you think you're not going to go back to Allah? Stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In another verse, we'll read one or two more. Allah says, and whoever does evil will be repaid for it. And guess what? You won't find anybody to help you in that situation. It's just you and your actions. So what does he tell us to do? He tells us to look at these verses. But listen to what he says. It's beautiful. He says that, but there's one thing I want you to notice. Wherever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about hope, he automatically brings the scary verses too. And wherever he speaks about his punishment, he automatically brings the verses of hope. And Imam Ghazali, he says, and the reason is so that you do not become fixated on either one, but rather you realize that it's, it's a combination. And I said this last week, but I want to repeat it. He says, Don't you fear your mother, meaning fear losing her love, fear angering her, upsetting her. Because of her mercy, the fear you have, and this is what we have to understand, that fear and hope have to go together because the fear is based out of a fear of missing the thing that you love the most. And that's the key. It's not a fear of, oh, just God's punishment. No, it's about the source of all my blessings have been Allah. And the one who has nurtured me from day zero is my Allah. And the biggest fear that I have it's just being separated from my Allah. So he, he says you have to combine love in all of this. And when your love trumps everything, then you become scared. But not scared the same way you fear something ferocious. Scared the way you fear losing something you love the most. Number two. He says, and you could do this by looking at the Quran, but we can also just look through history. He says, number two thing is you have to look at how Allah has dealt with other people before. He's telling us how to balance hope and fear. So he, he brings up number one. When it comes to fear, he brings up Iblis, Shaitan. You know the narrations tell us that there was no place on the face of the earth except that Shaitan did sajda there. He was one of the highest servants of God. 
There is no way any of us in this room can ever worship Allah the way he did. That means he was much higher than you. I don't care how righteous you think you are sitting in this room. You're nowhere near where he was. But he slipped up. He slipped up and could not recognize the mistake. And he lost that position. Imam Ghazali says, you have to think for a moment how many times a day you slip up. Your ibadah isn't that high and your slip ups are much more. How come you're not worried about your situation? How come you're not worried about your faith, your iman? He says, uh, he says look at, look at the, the, the story in the Quran of Adam. He says, Adam was created by Allah. He was the chosen of Allah. The angels were commanded to do sajda to him. So look at his position. Look at you. Look at his position. But there was a mistake made. And look at the result of that mistake that the, the, the Quran tells us. He was brought down to the earth because of that sin. The point is, you should be fearful because those who were much higher than you fell much lower than you. And you should be thinking, what about me? He says then, how about we reflect on um, the side of hope? On the side of hope. He says, think about those people who have been disbelievers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 70 years, 70 years of their life, disbelievers in God. And in one moment, they say, la ilaha illallah, and all of it wiped away. All of it wiped away. Imam Ghazali says, think over that mercy. And then he says, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was able to forgive 70 years of sins just for this one moment, you think he won't forgive you who have been worshiping and trying your whole life to worship him? You see, subhanAllah, do you see how it's important for us to see both sides of that? And so that's what he's telling us. He's giving us examples. Umar ibn Khattab. Umar ibn Khattab, just to reflect on. Umar radiallahu ta'ala an. Let's not look at his later life. Let's look at the beginning of his life. He did everything he could to persecute every Muslim that he knew. He, he, he beat them up physically, with verbally. He spent money against the deen. He did everything he could to push out the light of Islam for years. And then all of a sudden, he sees the truth. And now all of a sudden, he changes. He changes. What you have to realize is, how Allah can bring change to you. He was on his way to kill. I don't care how bad you think you are in this room, what sins you have. His sin that he was on his way to do was kill the Prophet But the mercy of Allah, this man's situation changed overnight in an instant. Khalid bin Walid, 10, 13 years against the Prophet trying to kill the prophet every moment he can. Look where he was. None of us have done that. Yes, we have sins, but none of us have done that. None of us have strived to, to destroy and remove this religion. But when that mercy came, he became what's known as the safe of Allah, the sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And last but not least, least Hind, radiallahu anha, I mean, her, her sin is hard to verbalize. She wanted to chew the, liver of, chew the liver of Hamza. She paid for the assassination of one of the most beloved uncles of our Habib, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. She hated him more than anything. You are nowhere near her. You are nowhere near her. No matter how much shaitan wants you to think you are the worst person in this room, what I want you to understand is shaitan works by making you feel isolated. That's why I started today by saying everyone in this room is a sinner. Hind wanted to kill the Prophet them. She paid for Hamza to be killed just to make it worse for the Prophet she, did, she mutilated him. You are nowhere near as bad as her at that moment. 
But Alhamdulillah, Allah doesn't judge us by our moments. It's by the final moment that he judges us by. And guess what? When the mercy came, she came to the Prophet wasallam. You know what she said? She said, I don't know what happened. But before this moment, there was no face on the earth that I hated more than your face. But now I swear by God, there is no face I love more than your face. Change. Why am I saying that? Because if, if she could change, where are we? I tried to get up for Fajr last yesterday. I'm trying to lower my gaze. I'm trying to stay away from haram. I'm trying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't make your situation change. So what does he say? He says, look at the words of Allah in the Quran, the hope and the fear. Then he says, look at people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown his, his mercy to. And then look at people who have been affected and, and lost everything because of a sin. And last but not least, and hopefully we won't spend the remaining time on this one, but it's an important one. One of the most powerful things that me and you can do is take the journey of our souls regularly. To actually visualize the journey of the soul. Not to just be caught up in this moment, but to close your eyes and think about your journey, not just now, but your entire journey. The third thing that he says that we have to do is we have to visualize, we have to think about his promise about the akhirah, the hereafter, and his threat or warning about the akhirah. And Imam Ghazali says specifically, he says, four situations. There's only four moments you have to think about. What I love about our scholars is they didn't leave it ambiguous and say, oh, just think about where you're going. Oh, thanks, Jazakallah. He's like, la, let me break this down for you. Let me give you exactly what I want you to focus on. So he goes, I want you to focus on four situations of your soul. Number one, at the time of death. And I'm going to go through each one of these. And we'll visualize them. Because there's two paths at each of these moments. Number one is death. Number two is the grave. Number three is Qiyamah, the day of judgment. And number four is Jannah or hellfire. So he says, the first one is to think about death. Your death. Everyone is around you. It's time to go. The Prophet wasallam, he said, the angel of death appears. And at this moment, the angel of death begins to pull the soul out. As for the believer, the angel says to the soul, oh, you beautiful soul, because now the soul smells good. All of the ibadah has an effect. Rasul says, when you say a lie, an angel goes, goes miles away from you from the stench coming from your mouth. It's a hadith. So now the soul is dying, but this soul was a soul of toba. He's been putting on that soap. Remember I told you? They say toba is like soap, dove, you know. Uh, dove, it's Israeli. No, we can't use that. <laughs> My bad. Uh, whatever soap, you know, the no-name brand. Like that toba is like soap. And the salah ala nabi. That's the etr. Allahu Akbar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. So this soul smells beautiful. And so the, this, the angel of death wants to treat you, the beloved, good. Because he's sent by Allah. He can't do you wrong. So he says, Ya tayyiba. Oh, you beautiful soul. You've been struggling your whole life. Back pain. You know what I mean? Headaches. Cramps, family, bills. And now the angel goes, beautiful soul, it's time to go. The Prophet says, if you are a believer that has been working, your soul almost jumps out of the body. Jumps out of the body. But that's not everyone's state because you only move forward to what you invested in. So the soul that hasn't invested in the akhirah it tries to, to, to cower down into the body. 
And so the angel of death to the soul that is wretched, that hasn't struggled and strived for Allah, it says, oh, you, 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 you horrible, foul-smelling soul, come forward or I will pull you out. And the hadith says, and I want you, see, this is the key. You don't understand. This is the medicine for our soul. It is thinking about these two journeys. It is thinking about these two moments. Where will you be? Which one will you be? So the prophet said that the soul of the wretched person tries to go all the way down to the feet so it doesn't leave. It, 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 it wants to stay. But it's time to come out like a newborn into this world. It has to come out now. So the, so the, the, the prophet says the angel of death begins to pull. But this soul doesn't want. And the prophet gave an analogy. He said the way it would be to pull wet cotton through a thorny a bush. The soul just gets caught, caught. Here's the key. Free yourself from this dunya now. The soul will fly out. But the more you attach on my car, my this, my that, my this, my that, my this. Then at the moment of death, you cling again. So he says, he says, think about this moment. Which one are you? Then he says, let's move forward to the next one. I, I wanted to share a narration because the Prophet wasallam, he said, you will be resurrected the way you die. You will be resurrected the way you die. In one narration, the Prophet said, Everything is judged by the last moment. There's one story that I read of Fudayl bin Ayal. This was crazy. I'll try to tell it quickly so we can get the whole content of today, but it's beautiful. Fudayl bin Ayal is a great scholar of the deen from the time of the Tabatabi'in, way back. He says that, uh, he tells the story himself. He says that uh, one of my students was passing away. One of his students. Hadaratul Wafat, he was dying. So the teacher, Fudel, he says, I came to go see him and be with him in these last moments. And he says, I began to recite Surah Yasin. Because there's a hadith, Iqra'u ala motakum Yasin. Recite around the person passing Surah Yasin. Faqala, ya ustad, la taqra. He's passing away, but he goes, ya ustad, la taqra. Don't read, don't read, I don't, don't stop. Fasakata. Fudayl says, I, I just, I got quiet. Thumma I said to him, la ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. And astonishingly, what did he say? La aquluha. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it. And he died saying that. So Fudayl says, I was confused. This was one of my best students. Fadakhala Fudayl manzilahu. He went to his own house, Fudel, and he says, I cried for 40 days. This was my student, and I heard him say, La, I'm not saying it, on his deathbed. And I came out of my house after some, some time. And he says, I saw him in a dream. I saw him in the dream. And dreams, dreams have meaning, y'all. Dreams have meaning, right? He said, I saw him in a dream, and he was being dragged to Jahannam, dragged to the hellfire. فَقَالَ بِأَيِّ شَيْءٍ so I, I yelled at him in the dream. What was it that snatched the recognition of God from your heart? You knew God, but in that moment, you lost who, who he was. I knew you were good. He says, Sheikh, I was the best student, but there were three things that I did regularly. Number one, I did a lot of namima. Namima is when you spread gossip amongst people with the intention of splitting them up. Crazy sin, yo. Yamshi bin Namima. La yadkhulul jannah. What, what does it mean? Oh, did you hear what Abdullah said? And you say it in a nice way too. Or you say it in a sly way. You go to, you go to uh, Abdurrahman. Yo, Abdurrahman, man, I heard, you know, Abdullah, he said this. With the only intention of splitting them up. This is called Namima. It's a form of backbiting. And he said, number two. I had a lot of jealousy in my heart. Yeah, I was a good student, but I was, I was low-key a hater. I had a lot of jealousy. And then he said, number three, low-key in my heart, there was one sin that I did regularly. And he said, uh, I knew I shouldn't have did it, but I did it regularly. 
and I never did Toba for this sin. He says he was drinking alcohol regularly on the low. And he's like, I couldn't. And that was this thing. And, and he woke up from the dream. The point is, the point, the point is, he had reached levels of knowledge or whatever. But these sins in that moment of death stopped him from being able to say la ilaha illallah in that moment of death. Brothers and sisters, we are witnessing people who not only say la ilaha illallah when they're dying, but fall into sajda when they die. Where will we be? What will our state be? If you lived like that, you don't, you don't, you don't realize, you, you don't do what you want. Your, 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 your ruh speaks in that moment. Your soul speaks. It's not your tongue anymore. It's your soul. So if your soul has been saying la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, then as that angel comes, then it's just the soul speaking. So he says, uh, there's one more story just so that we could get the other side. Not everyone dies that way, right? Um, Imam Ghazali says his teacher told him, subhanAllah, his teacher told him a story of a student as well. He says, So his teacher says that I had a classmate that we used to study ilm together. We used to go to the shuyukh and sit with them and study together. And he says, uh, this student used to try very hard, but he wasn't very intelligent. But he did every, he just would work hard. He had a lot of taqiyan He had a lot of taqwa. And he was like, such a, such a muta'abid, like worshipped Allah. Now, he says, this kid would study so much and then learn so little. We would feel so bad for him. I ain't going to call no names out. Call them students. I know a few of y'all. It's all good. This is you. I ain't even going to look around. <laughs> nah. He said he would study a lot. He would study so much and only get a little bit. And, and he says that, min halihi. We used to look at him like, man, this dude's studying so much, but he gets so little. He says, فَمَرِدَ He got sick. He got sick. And uh, he says that instead of going off to the doctors, he stayed in the school studying his ilm. And we all said, like, you have to go. He's like, nah, I'm okay. And he says, Even though he was sick, he still kept studying. His illness got worse and worse. Situation like that, he was sitting next to me one day studying, and he says, His eyes just looked up. His eyes looked up. And then he said to me, For this, it's a verse of Quran. For this is what the people who work hard work hard for. When I say we do hard things, that's what we're striving for. Jannah ain't cheap, we know it's special. We know it, 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 we know what it is. So we strive for it. So as he's passing away, his eyes, as if he's seeing something that no one else is seeing in that moment. And he just recites the Quran. He says, ah, for this is what those who struggle, strive and grind for. What are you grinding for in life? What are you checking all the time? What are you constantly looking at? Is it for the deen? Is it for Allah? Is it for something else? So he says, you know, think of how you're going to die. Think of how you want to die. And the way you want to die, you have to live that way. But not everyone dies who's a Muslim just saying la ilaha illallah. So he says, the next thing. We said there's four stages to think about. One is how you pass away. I told you the angel comes and pulls out the, the, pulls out the, uh, the soul. Some of them fly out. The Prophet said, when the angel takes out the soul that is a beautiful smelling soul, tahajjid, qiyamul layl, sadaqah, helping people, then the soul is lifted from heaven to heaven. And as it passes each heaven, the malaika, they say, who is this beautiful smelling soul? Which ummah is it from? What did it do? What were its actions? And its soul is taken all the way up. He says the next thing is to think about the grave. The grave. The grave. What will my state be in the grave? The Prophet ﷺ, he told us clear, it won't be the same for everyone. Which one fits you? 
One will munkar in nakir, the two angels of the grave come. And for the righteous, pure soul, they come in the most handsome, beautiful form you can imagine. Smiling at the person. And they ask this person three questions. They say, who is your Lord? What is your deen? And what do you say about this man right here? And the person sees an image of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The believer has been saying for his whole life, رَضِيتُ بِاللَّهِ رَبَّ وَبِالْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا وَبِسَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدْ نَبِيًا وَرَسُولًا His whole life, her whole life, they've been saying what? I am pleased with Allah as my Lord. I am pleased with Islam as my way of life. And I am pleased with that man, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That is my prophet. So when the angels come, ah, it just flows. It just flows. And they say to this person, oh, we knew you were going to say that. <laughs> we already got your little, you know, your rap sheet. We knew what you were going to say. And they will say, they will say to this blessed soul, sleep. No matter arus. The way a newlywed sleeps, sleep. And then they say, لا يستيقيده إلا أحب الخلق إليه. No one will wake you except the most beloved to you. And the person sleeps restfully. And the grave at that point, the Prophet ﷺ said, at that point the grave opens up as far as the eyes can see. And they see their place in Jannah and the angels say, that is your place in Jannah. That is it right there. And then they say, but look to the left. Look to the left. And they'll look to the left and they'll see their place in hell. And they will say, Allah saved you from that and gave you that. This is one person's journey. And the other person's journey is that the angels of death, Munkar and Nikhir, they come in the worst possible form you can imagine. The most ugly, wretched form that is possibly imaginable. And they come to the person and they ask him, who is your Lord? What is your deen? Your deen, your way of life. And what do you say about this man? The Prophet ﷺ said that some people will say, La adri, la adri, I don't know, I don't know. I used to say what everybody else was saying. That's the hadith. This is pretty deep, y'all. La adri, I don't know, I don't know. I used to say what everyone else is saying. Meaning, I didn't know myself. I didn't take the time to know my deen. I didn't take the time to know my prophet. I didn't take the time to know Allah. So this person says, La adri, I just said what everybody else was saying. Which tells me and you, we have to take ownership for our deen. On the day of judgment in that grave, you can't blame nobody. Why didn't you learn it? Why didn't you learn it? It was right there. It was right down the street. It was right an email away. Who is your Lord? The person will say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. All three questions. And at that moment, they will open a doorway to Jannah and the person will see Jannah. And the angels will say, you see that place? That was your place in Jannah. And that window will close. And a window to Jahannam will open. And until the day of res resurrection, they will see that place. They will see that place. This isn't the Kafir. This isn't the person that never said la ilaha illallah. This is the believer that didn't live by it, y'all. Hope and fear. We have to balance them. They are what keep us moving, going forward, going forward. Then the day of judgment, he says there's four things. The death, the grave, the day of judgment. Ah, what is the day of judgment? For the righteous soul. Angel Israfil blows the horn and all the souls come forward. The righteous souls are giving, given thrones and seats. First of all, they're given clothes. The most beautiful gowns, the most beautiful clothes. And they're put on, uh, what's it called? A member. You know the member like the imam sits on? Like the members of nur, of light. I mean, these are the kings and queens of the dunya. They are successful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then calls for the books to be brought. What are the books, y'all? The books are your deeds, my deeds. And your deeds are all written down and the books come to each person, either in your right hand or your left hand. The book is given to you. 
and you are brought forward with your book. You lived right. You lived the right life. So you got your book in your right hand. And the hadith and the Quran says you will be brought forward before Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, 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 will have you read your book. Iqra' kitabak. Read your book yourself. And you will read day by day how you lived. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the righteous soul will say that you are successful. You passed. Your sins have been forgiven. The, narrate, the Quran says, The person will turn back and as there's a, a multitude of people, he holds or she holds up her book and she says, I passed. I passed. I made it. I made it. I made it. Go forward. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that all of the believers together will be walking through the gates of Jannah and the angels will be on the doorways of Jannah saying, Salamun alaykum tibatum. Salamu alaykum. You guys did good. Salamu alaykum. You did good. Come on in. Noor on their faces. As they enter into Jannah, angels will be guiding them, but they will already know where their spots are. Because this ain't new to me. This is home. I've been here before. <laughs> I've been here before. Surah Al-Muhammad tells us that. Read the tafsir. Allah will enter into Jannah. Because you know, if you go somewhere you ain't been, it takes like five days just to get used to it. By the time mom, like, we got to leave, you're like, man, I just figured out where everything was. So Jannah's different. You walk in. And I'm like, Abdurrahman, show me your spot, yo. He's like, I just got here. But yo, it's this, that right there, that right there. See that river in the back right there? Allahu Akbar. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that's not the case of the people who are not forgiven. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they're resurrected and the books fly at them in their left hand and they want to hide it because it's clear on that day. There's no hiding. So they try to put it behind their back. They don't want people to see it. And then they're brought forward before the creation. First of all, they're separated from the believers. They were with the believers, but now they're separated from the believers. Nope. Your actions don't match with these people's actions. And in that moment, they're brought forward and one by one, their actions are shown to them. And this person has, has the audacity to say, Ya Allah, I don't, I don't believe this book. Where are your witnesses? Allah says, I have a witness for you. His mouth or her mouth is sealed and their limbs begin to speak about everything that they did. The Quran tells us this. The Quran tells us this. And then the person is brought before everyone. And everyone knows that they have not passed and they are dragged away. Why are we doing this exercise? Why are we doing this? Because he said in order for you to get up for Fajr tomorrow, in order for you to fast in Ramadan, in order for you to do what God wants you to do, you need two things, hope and fear. And we know how great we felt when we heard the person getting the book in the right hand and you said, that's going to be me. You saw yourself. And then when I explained the person in the left hand, you said, I don't want to be that person. Imam Ghazali, he says something that really hit me. And then the fourth, I'm sorry, moat, death, the grave, qiyamah, and jannah. Thinking about jannah. Oh, you want me to go into jannah, Habibi? Like, what is jannah? It's, it's what no eye has ever seen. Colors, unexplainable. Sounds we've never heard before. Nothing that any heart has ever thought about it. But the greatest thing of jannah and this is something that Imam Ghazali says. He says that uh, Yahya bin Mu'adh, he says, La nadri, I don't, we don't know which is the worst calamity, missing Jannah or entering into hellfire. Which is worse? Ammal Jannah, as for Jannah, fala sabra anha, how could you see it and not have it? As for the fire, how can you ever have patience on that punishment? So Imam Ghazali then says one more thing that I want to share with you. He says that uh, after reading all this, you should realize that the biggest thing me and you should fear, the biggest thing that me and you should fear is what? Is losing our Iman. I want all of us to truly, truly do some soul searching and realizing that the greatest blessing that you have 
is the tawfiq to put your head on the floor and do a sajda to Allah. That is the greatest blessing that Allah has given me and you. And He blessed us. We didn't work for it. Allah blessed us with it. The greatest fear is that one day you will wake up and Iman will be taken out of your heart. Imam Ghazali, he says, there are three worries that we should have. One worry is that my actions aren't accepted. One worry is that maybe I have sins that aren't forgiven. And the biggest worry, and this trumps all worries, is I worry that one day I might wake up and not have Iman anymore. See, that worry actually what makes you protect and do whatever you can to hold on to your Iman. It's that worry that makes you grind. It's that worry that makes you protect it. Because you're worried about losing anything, you're worried about losing it, you protect it. So the biggest worry we should have is one day I'll wake up and I don't have this kalima la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. He says that we have to have hope. And this, we'll finish with this. We have to have hope. But there's a difference between having hope and a... Uh, Baseless hopes. Imam Ghazali says something deep here. He says, Shouldn't we just have a good assumption about God? Right? Like not worry about, why should I be worried? You're listening to this halakha and you're like, you know, there's every, I, I just believe Allah will forgive me and I remember the hadith, uh, God treats me however I think about him. So I just believe I'll be okay. Right? That's it. He says, I agree with you, but listen to me. He says, Fa'lam. He says, understand that part of having a good assumption about God is that you're wary of sins and that you're cautious or fearful of his punishment. He says, understand. There's one key thing you need to understand that majority of people make mistakes on. And he says, There's a difference between true hope that is, that is praiseworthy and, and baseless hopes. He says, what's the difference? He says, true hope, raja, true hope, yakunu ala aslin, is based on something. You did something. You put some work in. You put some work in. You did something. And, and, and you, you, listen. None of our, our stuff is worthy of presenting to God. None of us. None of us. I had a teacher one time. He said it's so beautiful. May Allah preserve him. He says, he says, sometimes, y'all heard me say this before. He says, sometimes your child, and I never understood it till now. He says, sometimes your child will, 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 will make something for you. Right? Draw something or make something for you. Are my children in the room right now? Anyone see my kids? They're not here. Okay, good. Because right. theirs is not fitting this. Theirs, theirs is good. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Sometimes your child will make something for you. A picture of something. And the picture doesn't look anything like the thing that they said it looks like. Right? He says it doesn't look anything like it. But when you look at the picture, you do not see what it's supposed to look like. But rather you see their love and their effort. He says, that's our actions before Allah. Our salah don't look like a salah. Your salah don't look like sahabi salah. You're thinking about everything. Your fasting don't look like the sahabiyat fasting. You backbiting and everything. Our other actions don't look like they're supposed to. But guess what? You don't lose hope because of that. You realize that, Ya Allah, my actions aren't the way they're supposed to. But Ya Allah, this is what I brought. Please forgive me for my shortcomings. So he says, he says that true hope is founded on something. And then he gives this perfect analogy. He says, and, and, and false baseless hope is when there's nothing to base it on. You didn't do anything. He gives an example. He says, He says, like the one who plants seeds, cultivates the land and puts seeds in the ground, waters it, and then sits back and goes, inshallah, I hope everything will come out. It was the work, it was the water, but at the end of the day, it's hope from Allah. 
That's true hope. You did something. I came to salah, ya Allah. I put my distractions away. I stood there, Allahu Akbar. At the end of it, I said, ya Allah, please accept from me. This don't look like the way it's supposed to look like. When I read the Sahaba stories, man, subhanAllah, without any exaggeration, they prayed having arrows flying at them. Didn't lose khushu. Allahu Akbar. One of the Sahaba, he was put on guard. I forget which battle it was. He was put on guard to watch. Two of them. One goes, you know, you, you watch first, I'll sleep, obviously. So one of them, he's like, well, if I'm awake, I might as well pray. Subhanallah. So he stands up to pray and one of the adu, one of the enemies, he saw him from a distance. He saw the, it's the middle of the night, it's a desert, it's dark. He sees the form of someone moving. So he puts his arrow and his bow and he shoots. And when he hits, when he shoots it, the, per, the thing doesn't move. So he goes, I must have missed. And he shoots again. He shoots three arrows. On the other side, we find out all three hit. And the Sahaba, he says, the only reason I broke my prayer was out of fear that if I died, the prophet would get attacked. Otherwise, I would have kept praying. What I'm trying to say is me and you. <laughs> eh, some of y'all be checking y'all phones and stuff. Watches. Like... I'm telling on myself. You know what I mean? No, the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter. We're trying our best. And true hope True hope is when we try our best and then we hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what keeps you struggling, striving and grinding to be better is when you hear those stories about those whose salah was everything. It was a true salah. Don't lose sight of that because then you lose what to strive for. Don't lose sight of that because then you lose what to strive for. He says, he says the example of a person that doesn't cultivate the land doesn't work on the land, doesn't put seeds in the land, is like the one who sleeps on their salah, never prays, nothing, and they say, Allah is Ra'uf Rahim, I'll be okay. La, just do something and then put your hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala, he says there are ahadith to support this. He says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Al-kayyisu man dana nafsahu wa amila lima ba'd al-mawt. The wise man or woman is the one who humbles their, their nafs, pushes their soul, their, their, their lower self down and does what works for the akhirah. Well, ajis and the incapable person is the one who follows after their lower desires and just trusts everything will be okay. I'll be fine. And so what we ask is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us true hope. Amen. Believe deeply that Allah loves you and believe deeply that people far worse than you have been changed overnight. Don't ever, ever lose. Uh, don't ever, ever lose hope in God's mercy. But at the same time, don't let Allah's mercy deceive you about your own self. Don't let God's mercy deceive you and stop you from doing and doing your best. That is what we are struggling and striving to gain is that balance right in between deep hope. And I'm going to end with what I started with. Umar radiallahu ta'ala an, he said, if on the day of judgment there was a caller that called out that every single person is going to Jannah except one person, Umar said, my fear would be that I would be that one. And then Umar said, but if a caller called out that everyone is going to the hellfire except one, my hope in Allah makes me believe that I would be that one. This is what we strive to create in our hearts, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfir wa atubu ilayk. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. There was an imam, as I'm sure you guys seen the news in Newark, that was shot and killed, rahimahullah. He did a lot of work on the inner cities and African-American community. He worked a lot against gun violence and changing uh, the, the, the structural violence that exists in inner cities in America and, um, uh, and he was killed, shaheed inshallah, shaheed. The shaheed, the hadith says that the shaheed, the martyr, it feels only what it feels like to get a mosquito bite. <laughs> when they die, it feels like a mosquito bite. That's the martyr. 
and he was martyred today. He died today uh, being shot. Um, but he spent his life in the most beautiful way. Imam Hassan, Hassan Sharif. Imam Hassan Sharif. MashaAllah, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Um, again, uh, when we work our lives for the sake of Allah, then we can hope that Allah will let us pass away doing his work, inshallah. One of our uh, brothers that comes to the halaka, uh, Ahmed Ali and Zaki Ali, their grandfather passed away. So they asked me to ask this group to make dua that Allah forgive their grandfather and accept him and elevate his rank. And I make dua for all of us in this gathering who have lost loved ones. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive them. We ask Allah to elevate them. Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to forgive them and elevate them. Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Ya Allah, we ask you to give our family members sabr on losing them, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask you to join us with them in Jannatul Firdaus. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik shalwa la ilaha illa anta sakratu wa ilayhi. As-salamu alaykum.